This morning we're looking in verses 3 through 6. If you would turn in your Bible when you're there, say amen, or yo, or hey, hey. If you need a if you need a Bible, um, I'm going to ask uh, Leo if you, if you're in the back there. Could you see if there's any more Bibles back there? I don't see any with my eyes, but there might be. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. First John chapter two, starting in verse three, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Pray with me. Father, we ask that as we come into this text today, that we would know that we are in Christ. Pray that you would convict us of our sin, that we might live in obedience, so that we might enjoy this kind of assurance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In 2016, in the year 2016, it was announced that gym memberships were at an all-time high. 57 million people in 2016, have a membership at a health facility. In 2016, it was also announced by Men's Health that obesity is at an all-time high. 30% of Americans, according to medical records, are obese. What can we learn from that? Well, we can learn that having a health club membership doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy. Just getting people to send $70 to the health facility doesn't equal an increasingly healthy society. And just because you're a member of a church doesn't mean that you are a healthy Christian. Are you a Christian in profession only? But when you examine your life, nothing looks like Jesus. We're coming into 1 John chapter 3, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 this morning, recognizing that we just came out of verses 1 and 2, where it's clear that Jesus Christ is the only safe place for sinners. That's what we talked about last Sunday. If you aren't here, you can listen to it online. Jesus Christ is the safe place for sinners. Now we're beginning a series of tests that we might sort of self-examine uh, uh, our, ourselves, um, test ourselves. This is sort of like, remember back in school, teacher might give you a test and say, grade yourself. We're grading ourselves for the next couple weeks. We're given by John a series of tests through which we might know that we are in him. Now, Christians have always faced a temptation, 
And that temptation is to remain a Christian in profession, but to sin without a tender conscience. Meaning there are Christians who deep in the recesses of their heart consider living their life according to their flesh and doing whatever they feel and sinning and hoping that they can do so while remaining assured that they are a Christian. Now, family, what I want to tell you today is is that those who have successfully done that are liars, according to 1 John. And those who try to do that, that are, who are regenerate, truly saved Christians, those who try to do that, they try in vain. You see, God lovingly removes from a regenerate Christian not their salvation, but their assurance of their salvation when they live in ongoing sin. Let me show you where I get that from. Look at verse 3. He says, by this we know that we have come to know, uh, come to know, that we have known. You see what he's saying there? He's saying by this, by what? By obedience. We're going to talk about that. By this, by obedience, he doesn't say by this we become a Christian or by this we get in him. He says this. By this, we have come to know that we are in him. You see the difference there? By this, by obedience, we have come to know that we have known him. Meaning, you know that you're saved when you obey. Obedience doesn't make you saved. It gives you assurance that you are saved. I need you to track with me right now because this is very foundational for the rest of our time together. You guys with me? You mean amen something? All right. (laughs) Whatever. Say something. (laughs) Something. And so let's get into this test here. This is is what we're going to call this morning the test of obedience. The test of obedience. So that we might know that we know him. That we are in him. First, we see in verse 4, we know that we are in him when we obey. We know that we are in him when we obey. I think of the story of the prodigal son. Many of you know that story. It's this tragic story at first of the son who comes to his father and says, hey, I want my entire inheritance now. And so the father gives him the inheritance, and the son then goes and he squanders the inheritance on friends, on partying, on prostitutes. We've got no clue what he spent all the money on, but it was on debauchery, all right? And then he finds himself in the story, kind of hitting rock bottom, hungry, probably gets a job somehow, and he's, he's working with pigs. He's overseeing pigs, and he, he's looking at what the pigs eat, and he, and he thinks to himself, you know, the servants in my dad's house eat better than these pigs. See, he thought that sin was going to be so good to him, and now he's eating with the swine, which first we got to recognize he's willing to eat with the swine, then 
crawl back home. There's a moment in which he decided the pigs are better than having to face my father. But he finally hits rock bottom and he says, a servant eats better in my dad's house than these pigs are eating. And so he determines to go back home. Listen, this is, this is the key right here. He determines to go back home, not as a son, but as a servant. Let's pause for a second and ask a question. Has he lost his sonship? No. No. The, the dad's waiting for him. He hasn't lost his sonship. What has he lost? He has lost the assurance that he is a son. And so he's going back now as a servant in his mind, not as a son. See, friends, when you disobey, you lose the assurance that you are God's. You lose any kind of knowledge that you are in him. And so then, therefore, we obey God so that we might know that we are in him. And so this is what he tells us. Look at verse 4. He says, he says, he gives us a negative example. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep. Everybody say the word keep. Keep. That's an old military word that means to guard against. You know, the, the Christian life, the life fighting for uh, holiness is, is truly a fight. We don't naturally drift toward holiness. Do you know that? We drift toward selfishness, sacrilege, and sin. We don't drift toward holiness. So what we're, what we're seeing here, I believe, is a sense of fighting, guarding, military. We are fighting for holiness in our life. We're striving for it. We're willing to fight to death so that we might remain holy before God. He says, whoever, or by this we've come to know him, if we, verse 3, keep guard his commandments. But whoever does not keep guard his commandments. What are we guarding them from? We're guarding them from memory loss. You know, we've got to be in the word daily, regular, because we forget, right? Like, sometimes, those of us that have been Christians for a couple of years, we, we believe, like, yeah, I kind of know the whole Bible. I get like that sometimes. I get arrogant, puffed up. The other day, I read through the book of Ruth during my morning devotional time, and I felt like I was reading everything for the first time, and I've read it probably a hundred times. I forget the Word of God, and I forget not just the details and the facts, but what he's saying to my spirit and to my soul. He speaks to me through his Word. We've got to guard against memory loss. We also have to guard against the distortion of the devil, because the devil's really good at distortion. Did God say that you might not touch the fruit? Well, no, he didn't say that, did he? God said, don't lust over that girl. And then the devil comes along. Did God say you might not touch a woman? Well, no, God didn't say I can't touch a woman. I guess I could touch her. That's not, that's not sinful. The devil's really good at distorting things. We've got to guard against the distortion of the devil. We've got to guard against putting ourselves into 
situations and places where obedience to his commandments are going to be attacked. I'm just going to stay over at his house and hope that nothing happens. Why are we putting ourselves in these situations? No, we need to guard his commandments, to keep his word in our hearts. And as we go on in the text, we see that uh, the word commandment and the word word is used interchangeably. In verse 4, he says uh, that he must keep his commandments. And then going on into verse 5, he says, but whoever keeps his word. We're not just talking about commandments, friends. We're talking about the word of God, the revealed word of God. That's what we're talking about. John, in his gospel, in chapter 1, verse 1, says Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh. The Word of God became flesh. And Christ is the Word, John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1. Going on in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, Whoever has seen me knows or has seen the Father. Now, how does Jesus speak? How does God speak to us? 2 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus himself prays, God, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We are to cling to the Scriptures. This is how we know the commandments of God. This is how we know the word of God because it's been revealed to us through the prophets and most recently through his son, Jesus Christ. So we see this negative example in verse 4 then. The person who says, I know him, but they don't keep his commandments, he is a liar. He's a liar. But we're not allowed to say that word these days, are we? But John does. He's a liar. That's a strong word. What he's saying is, is, is that the actions, your actions uh, are not congruent with your words. The way that you're living your life is making the very claim of uh, Christianity in your life null and void. You yourself are telling us that you're lying when you say that you are in the safe place of Jesus Christ. And so then for this reason, God, I believe, out of love for you, removes the assurance of salvation when we are in disobedience. This is what church discipline is, by the way. Church discipline uh, is not taking, removing the Christianity from someone. We're not saying by removing somebody from membership, we're not saying this person is no longer a Christian, and we're removing. No, that's, that's not our role, is it? What is church discipline? Church discipline is merely removing uh, our assurance that they're a Christian. You see? See the difference? We're saying we don't see evidence that you are in Christ, and so we can no longer say that we believe you're a Christian. This is what John's getting at here. And guys, this is not designed for us to point fingers at each other and say, oh, I see some disobedience in your life. I see some disobedience in her life. 
We should not at this point be thinking to ourselves, man, I wish so-and-so was here. No, this is designed for us to examine ourselves, not somebody else. Are you walking in obedience with Jesus Christ? Secondly, we know that we are in him when we mature. We know we're in him when we mature. I, a couple years ago, planted a garden in my backyard. This is long before I planted my grass. And I thought, you know, I'm going to kind of get into this whole urban gardening thing, and I'm going to grow this amazing garden on McCullough Street. And so I, plant, I, I dug it all out, and I, I planted all these different plants in there. I had cucumbers and zucchinis. I put a blueberry bush in there, uh, coriander, basil, tomatoes, peppers, jalapeno peppers. And by harvest time, everything had died, (laughs) except for I had some amazing jalapeno peppers that fed us for about a year, and I had one gigantic bush of basil. But a healthy garden should not just have one or two plants that are doing really well, right? We wouldn't call my garden a healthy garden. We would say it's a struggling garden. A healthy garden is not a, not a, a garden where the family has to eat a, a jalapeno wrapped in a basil leaf all year long, feeding the family from two plants. No, a healthy garden is when all of the plants in the garden are healthy and are growing, and are producing fruit. A healthy church is not where you got one or two people who are growing and mature and feeding the entire family. But a healthy church is when you can look across and see that there is maturity among all the plants in the garden. Let me show you where we see maturity in this text. Not only is, are we talking about obedience, but we're talking about growth. We're talking about growth. Look at it. He says in verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, this is a positive example, by the way, whoever keeps his word in him, truly, this is what's happening. He says, the love of God is perfected. Now, that doesn't mean the love that God has for us, because the love that God has for us is already perfected. It's already full. It's already complete. God's love for you does not need to grow. It's our love that needs to grow. So this, it would properly be understood to read, the love for God is perfected. And that word perfected could better be translated finished or completed or matured. Your love for God as you obey Him grows into full adulthood. This means that new Christians have an immature love for God. That means that many of us who have been Christians for a very long time, but we've never really been sold out obeying God, fighting for obedience, that we, we've, we've been left at this sense of Im- immaturity. We have an immature love for God. Now, when we obey God, our love for God actually grows. Think about that. And kids, kids in the room, 
Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when you were like five years old, those of you that are older than five? Do you remember that uh, when you were five years old, you might not have obeyed your father and mother uh, all of the time? But as you mature, as you get older, you learn how to obey. And let me ask you this. As you obey a good father and mother, is it not also true that your love for your father and mother increases because you know through obedience that they are indeed good and they want the best for you? This is the way we're wired to work. Which means, see, we often think of it this way. We often think, I, oh, uh, I love God, and so therefore I obey him. Well, that's true. Obedience does come from love. But the reverse is also true. I obey God, and therefore I grow in my love for God. Are you stagnant in your love for God? Does, does, are you lacking passion for the Lord? Is your love for God flat in your life? You, you don't feel love for God. Examine your heart, family. Is there any ongoing sin in your life? Is there any way in which you are living in rebellion against God? Are you loving one another? Are you loving those in your home, your children and your spouse, and the way that God calls you to? Are you loving those in the church? Is there sexual immorality that has kind of crept up and taken hold of you? Is there pride in your life? Like in what way are you rebelling against God? Friends, walk in obedience and find that God's love will grow into full adulthood in your life. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, God tells us this. He says, I desire steadfast love, not your sacrifices. You see, uh, John Stott, he put it this way. He said, said, true affection for God is not in sentimental language. True affection for God is not shown through great supernatural experiences. But true affection for God is shown through moral obedience to Him. And then I would add, and through that, we grow in our affections for God when we obey Him. Micah 6, 8, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. What does He require of you? He requires this, He says, to do justice and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Thirdly, we know that we are in Him when we look like Him. We know we're in Him when we obey. We know we're in Him when we're growing in our love for Him, when we're maturing, and we know we're in Him when we are walking in the way that He Walks. We see this here in verse 6. There's another, obli- uh, another example that John gives us, and this is an example of the obligation that is on the person who does claim that they are in the safe place of Jesus Christ. He says this, look at verse 6, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. There is a clear progression 
that we see in this text. Recognizing the commands of God and obeying them. But recognizing that those commands are His loving, revealed Word to us. But it doesn't stop there. We don't just simply follow some arbitrary commands that He gave us, but we actually walk in the steps of Jesus Christ. We are following our rabbi. And what our rabbi does, we do. We're following Christ. Allah never came to earth and lived his life before us as an example. The Buddha certainly left behind an example, but the Buddha never claimed to be God. Only Christianity presents and believes in a God who became flesh and dwelt among us and did the work that we need done for us on our behalf, but also left us an example in which we might walk. And so we know then that we are in him when we walk with him, when we begin to look like him. Now, John, later on, uh, he explains it. He, I mean, he's very clear. He says, we, whoever claims to live in him must do as he did. Now, does this mean that we do all the things that Jesus literally did? Now, some of us, well, we're, we're not going to feed 5,000 people. None of us are going to open the eyes of the blind, and I guarantee you none of us are going to die on the cross for the forgiveness of anybody. So we don't necessarily literally do what Jesus did, but friends, we walk within the same principles in which he walked and modeled for us. In the way that we carry ourselves. In the way that we love those that are around us. In the way that we run from temptation. And in the way that we fight against the devil. Now some people in this room at this point are asking a question such as, with all of this said, am I really a Christian? Some people might not see obedience in their life. There might be some here, and I recognize this, and, I, and so I'm saying this with, uh, with, with uh, humility and with, with great compassion. There likely are some people in this room who are entwined in sin. You're caught up in it. When I say, is there unrepentant sin in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I don't know your situation, but you do. You've forgotten God. You are living in active rebellion against His revealed will for you. One of the commands that we have from God is clearly for sinners. 1 John 1, nine: confess your sins. Confess your sins. Isn't it amazing that He has given us commands designed for sinners, which means we can actually obey him as sinners. Another command that we have is believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Do you know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, being God, became man, lived the life that I, that Montrell, that Carday, that my wife should have lived. He died on the cross and when he died on the cross, he took the punishment for Eric and for Aisha. He took the punishment for all of us who are in him, dying in our place. 
It crushed him, buried him, three days later, rising from the dead. We see that God accepted his sacrifice. And whoever turns from their sin, trusts in Christ, has the promise that they're forgiven of their sin now and will live forever with God, freed from even the presence of sin. Do you know the gospel? Are you, friends, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you, therefore, are you in him? You see, my concern isn't so much for the person right now who's sitting in conviction. I want you to know and be reminded once again of the gospel. I want you to freely confess your sins at least to God and maybe to one another and know that you are forgiven. The very fact that the Spirit is nagging on your conscience right now is assurance that you are a Christian. Otherwise, He would leave you alone. You see, I'm concerned for the person in the room who has a seared conscience. I'm concerned for the person in the room who who knows that there is ongoing rebellion in their life. And they're able to just sit here and listen to to God's word and it doesn't stir them. Friends, be stirred now. Let the Spirit stir you now. Convict you of your sin and turn to Christ. Beg Him, God, give me new desires. I don't desire to turn from my sin. Can you at least give me a new desire? Can you give me the want to live in holiness? And friends, this is what God does for us. He gives us a new heart. He gives us new passions. He gives us new desires. And that's why we begin to obey him. I want to close with a story that I heard from another preacher. A story about two flocks of sheep. One flock had a, uh, a, a bad shepherd, and the other flock had a good shepherd. The bad shepherd would beat his sheep, wouldn't properly feed his sheep. And one day, a sick, dying sheep from the bad flock wandered all the way up to the line between the two flocks of sheep, and there he fell on the ground, dying malnourished. Many sheep from the other side came by and and mocked this sheep and laughed at this sheep. Then finally, the strongest and the healthiest of all the sheep came over and looked down at the ground at this dying sheep. And the one dying looks back and says, you're here to mock me as all the others have been, aren't you? And this strong sheep says, no, I am not here to mock you. I'm not here to mock you. For if it was not for my good shepherd, I would be in the same place you are. Let me introduce you to the good shepherd. You see, we can't look down on and mock the attic on the street corner because if it were for not for our good shepherd, we would be on the street corner as an attic. We cannot mock the wayward believer who's not here this morning and look down on them and believe that we are somehow intrinsically better because if it were not for the good shepherd, we would be a wayward believer. 
We cannot mock the sexist and the prejudiced and the racist and look down on them. For if it were not for our good shepherd, we would be sexist and racist and prejudiced. We cannot mock the adulterer and the pornographer and the fornicator. For if it were not for him, we would be up to our eyeballs in adultery and pornography and in fornication. The only reason that we obey is because we're in Him. And this is why obedience gives us the assurance that we're in Him. Because we would not obey if it were not for the Good Shepherd. Do you know the Good Shepherd? And His name is Jesus Christ. Oh, my soul boasts in Him. I've got nothing else to boast in. I can't boast in my obedience. I can't boast in my good deeds. I cannot boast in my gifts or my wisdom. I can only boast in Him because in His death I died. And through His resurrection I was lifted from the grave and I've been given a new heart. And I've been given all that I need. And so I will boast in Him. My Savior, my Lord Jesus Christ. The prodigal son. He has no assurance of his sonship. He's walking home to live now as a servant in his father's house. And it's not until he gets home, back into the safe place of his father, that he then is once again assured of his sonship. You know the story. The father sees the son from a distance, and the father runs to the son and embraces him. The prodigal, he's come home to the father. Turn to God. Turn your face toward God, and God will turn his face toward you and shine his light upon you. Prodigal, run to him. Run to Jesus Christ. And know that you are in him. Friends, if you are not in Jesus Christ, turn to him now. I plead with you. Run to him. Find your comfort in him. Find in him safety from the storm. And family, if you, if you claim to be in him, Obey him so that you might know that you are in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you have given to us through John, preserved for us today. We thank you for the fact that the Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts and has stirred us to obedience. God, I pray that our church would be a healthy garden where we don't just simply have one or two healthy plants, but that we can look across and see a multitude of plants, fruit-bearing plants, feeding one another. God, we pray that you would do this through convicting us of our sin, being transparent with one another, confessing our sin to you and to others as appropriate, knowing that we are forgiven, growing us, sanctifying us, in your word. Your word is truth. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.